0: Thumbs up or thumbs down? Okay. Oh, you in the third row. You, couple on row 14. Stop kissing and just vote. Vote if he should
1: be punished more. <gasps> One, two, three,
0: four. Oh, carry the three. He should be punished more. Are you more. trying
1: to determine whether we should punish our audience more by actually starting the show or just end it now?
0: I'm I'm telling you William Castle was a genius. This is true. This is true. And and he was actually a very avuncular character. I, I wasn't uh, expecting to...
1: To actually have him in the movie. All this and the definition of evuncular on digital noise. Now pass me a damn beer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to digital noise. Hello. Uh, my my DiMaggio-like streak of doing cold opens that Johnny Neal does not realize are cold opens is intact. Yeah, I got gotta. Kinda... I I just talk a lot. (laughs) (laughs) A good trait to have when you are doing a podcast, I feel, perhaps. Yeah, I like to... uh, Philosophers call it gassing. (laughs) Oh, I like it.
0: Filling the air with just empty gas.
1: Welcome to Digital Noise. This is the home release review show that always have you... I'm not even going to edit that. Nope. Home release review show that always leaves you... Nope. Feeling punished? That always has you leaving with a case of the blues. Oh, the blues. As in B-L-U, Blu-rays, get it? That's the joke. It would have worked better if I got it right the first time. I don't know if I would
0: have got it, though, because the blues is a case of the blues. How about a
1: disc of the blues? A disc of the blues, ladies and gentlemen. Let's start over. No, let's No, not. let's not do that. Let's tell people that they can find more of the professionalism they just heard on places like iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also follow the show on Twitter at DigiNoiseCast, D I G I NoiseCast, or at one of us net. And you can find us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash oh one of us net. Johnny Neal, how are you, sir?
0: I'm good. School started. The kids are out of my house.
1: Oh man, that must be exciting too. That for you. is the greatest father holiday in the world. This
0: is the <laughs> not, first day of school. Not Father's Day. You think, father's day should be the first day of school
1: well, i kind of think it's bullshit that both mother's day and father's day happen like right as summer vacation is going on right so it's like yeah and I mean, on a sunday yeah i i wanted to enjoy that sunday goddammit. it but now uh, i have to get bad ties and and cards that you bought at the last minute so hooray dads that's fun that's kind of a cynical view of fatherhood i'm sorry about that <laughs> sorry dad if you're sorry. listening sorry dad and i know your parents are very proud of you so no, listen to no it's show. i i never buy my dad anything at the last minute i always put a lot of thought into it and then my girlfriend comes up with a way better gift and your,
0: saves the day your dad has 75 handmade clay coffee hey
1: mugs. those are great coffee mugs and i will not hear anything to the contrary <laughs> every pencil he's ever owned is in one of those coffee mugs. it's true it's true but let's go ahead and start this off with something that we do infrequently, but is always a, uh, a favorite of mine, and that is opening up. The letterbox.
0: You've got mail.
1: Yes, the letterbox. Thank a you, Torgo. The letterbox. It's weird that we are able to fit Torgo inside the closet with us where we are currently recording this, but. Um... He makes do. He makes do. And it's his
0: closet. It so is his it's closet. nice him to
1: let us in here. Yeah, I kind of displace him whenever I feel like it, just for funsies.
0: We spray each other with, like, Mazzola Pam before we <laughs> squeeze in.
1: <laughs> this episode brought to you by Mazzola Pam. Mazzola <laughs> Pam, you don't know what it is. It's for sliding into closets with Torgo. <laughs> this is right there on the label. This first question comes from Bradley Martin. Uh, He says, I can't survive another rom-com. Any great romantic films brimming with intimacy I can watch with my wife that aren't stupid, mad dash to the airport, don't take that job in Chicago, stay with me, romantic films. So in other words, are there any good romantic comedies that aren't completely cliche? And I'm going to let Johnny Neal think about his answer while I answer. My favorite romantic comedy, the one that I think is the most beautiful love story ever committed to film it's not a boy and his dog. It is, in fact, uh, City Lights. Charlie Chaplin, City Lights. Beautiful it is, movie. Oh, my God. That is the sweetest, most romantic love story I've ever seen. If you've never seen it, this is a story where Charlie Chaplin, uh, essentially completely unbeknownst to a girl, a uh, blind girl, gives her the gift of sight, uh, completely uh, changes her life. And she never knows that it's him, and he's doing all these things for her, um, knowing that she will never really know, um, you know, who he is. And Very it's just, selfless. Yeah,
0: selfless grad, uh, acts. A lot of selfless acts. And no I, I, grand gesture at no, all.
1: No, no, no. I mean, it is it is a grand gesture, but not it not, not it, for the sake of right. Being not of, to be ostentatious you know, about yeah. it, yeah, or not not just to be showy, but yeah, this is a a true commitment a true act of love and it's just a beauty i I cry every time it's just and it's a silent movie and it's it's one of and i still think it's the best love story ever committed to film and it's it's a silent movie so they haven't improved upon the cinematic love story in you know almost 100 years i guess is what i'm saying but uh i also highly recommend gross point blank yeah which i think is uh really funny it's got an amazing soundtrack and i always like my romantic comedies to have kind of a have an edge to them have a gimmick um, you know, like Shaun of the Dead, for example, is a rom com with zombies. It's a zom Um and Gross Point Blank is a romantic comedy with uh, contract killers. So you know, that's that's always fun. There's there's some really and it was, spectacular it was before action. Before John
0: Cusack got creepy,
1: right before he got creepy, somehow yeah. or another, he
0: he has not turned into a good guy in his middle age. He's he's
1: a, yeah, not there's something. Not doing I don't so know great. what it
0: is. There's something. I don't know. Yeah.
1: It's, like he, it's, it's he tried weird.
0: to be aloof his whole life, and then at some point that catches up with you
1: and you go, oh. You stay in orbit from caring for so long, Yeah, you're just adrift after a while, I think yeah. is the problem. What about and, you? What about you, Johnny? Well,
0: Neal? I'm going to go with the, kind of with the, your theme there, and go with the uh, the original "The Getaway" by Sam Peckinpah, Steve McQueen, and Allen McGraw. Wow! Uh, it's got Slim Pickens in it, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So
1: that's about the best kind of
0: you and Slim Pickens, comedy. man.
1: You you have a real thing for Slim Pickens. You're...
0: I do. Well, because he's exactly <laughs> like all of my uncles.
1: Ah, uh, okay. Big time, Uncle Slim. Sure, big time. Sure. sure.
0: Uh, that movie is—it's uh, funny, and uh, you know they—they they get along in the end. It's, and it's just Sam it's, Peckinpah and Steve McQueen.
1: I would never have considered a Sam Peckinpah movie to be a romantic comedy.
0: Oh, come on, Straw Dogs.
1: <laughs> hilarious it is a feel good hit of the it's, summer. that's not even a meat cute that's like a that's like a rape cute that's, that's what that movie cute is with an
0: m-e-a-t
1: that's uh <laughs> and it's a meat cut actually yeah maybe it, it's a meat rape um yeah yeah just okay i i, I to, you know
0: actually i'm trying to think of like those are the kind of movies that I end up getting up and walking out of in the living room yeah. most of the
1: time. Yeah, the white uh, box movies, sure.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I really liked uh, that movie with Paul Rudd and Jennifer Aniston. Uh, Wonderland? Wonderland?
1: Wanderlust?
0: Wanderlust. Oh, okay. I like that. I like anything David Wayne and those guys are associated with. That's fair. Um, that's my idea of comedy, not superscripted comedy. Mm. Um, yeah, and uh, and... Generally I like my comedies to have a little bit of a melancholy thing going with them too. Like a melon comedy.
1: Like Woody Woody Allen comedy. I like Woody Allen a lot. We are very different people, and I like that we do this show together because I can't stand Wanderlust or Woody Allen. So Really? I, I've never I my only my only Woody Allen positive experiences have been the movies that if you were a Woody Allen fan, you would have been like, It's this doesn't feel like Woody Allen at all. Like right. Match Point. Match or, Point, yeah. To a lesser extent, Midnight in Paris. I still think that it has some Woody Allen elements, but it, it's definitely a departure from his usual...
0: But see, he has so many movies. Mm-hmm. He puts out a movie every year, almost always on time and under. Oh, budget. this
1: just didn't... We were reviewing one. It just came in. Oh, uh, <laughs> exactly. Do you go. know
0: about this one? I mean, he puts out a movie every year, mm-hmm. and they're not... People will say, oh, that's like a Woody Allen movie, and it's like, they have stuff in common, but... I mean, he's made a lot of just straight comedies, you yeah. know, without like uh, Broadway Danny Rose. That, that's a romantic comedy mm. if in its own goofy way. It's just that everybody's middle age. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there you go. There you go.
0: So uh yeah, I don't really have
1: a, a straight answer for that. That's that's fine. We we can have gay answers. The,
0: well, the question. thing about romantic comedies is that they're like Kleenex. You know, out of that box of Kleenex, you jerk which, off with them. No, but I oh. throw them away and uh, I don't uh, differentiate oh, right, right. between one and the other. You know, which beautiful set of teenagers was, uh <laughs> you know, or whatever. What which Ab comedy was was that? You know, I don't I don't know. This don't has know. been Johnny Neo with say the hell off my lawn,
1: kids. <laughs> your damn Grant kleenex Tarino comedies. Too. might as well blow your nose on those dvd blues uh we're gonna answer this question from jeff beasley who says do you always watch your titles on the same tv and second part to the question can you tell us about your home theater setup this is like an inside baseball. They want to know, they want to know about us as people, Johnny Neal, not just Are you
0: casing the joint.
1: Yeah, well, that's what I want to know. You want to become... know if, if it's worth coming to my house and stealing my home theater? I will go first, <laughs> just just to be deferential here. I I have two places where I will watch the titles for Digital Noise. One is in my living room, which is just a, a it's a decent size, like forty two inch plasma. Not nothing special, no extra speakers, but a very comfortable couch. Or I will watch movies where we are currently recording, which I have dubbed my theater room. It's a half-finished garage in this house um, with no windows that was called the bedroom when we took the house. But I'm like, there's no way anyone would actually live in here.
0: Dracula could live in here.
1: And that is why I hung up my Universal Monsters (laughs) Mondo prints uh, in this room. And I got a projection screen and a projector and my... Overstuffed uh, armchairs, and this is my theater where I watch a lot of movies. So, it's a comfy room, it's a super comfy room, and yeah. it, it actually works pretty well for podcasting. And it's too. cool in here, too. it's very cool in here because it's I good. refuse to turn off the AC while recording. Oh, yeah, no too. more of that, never again.
0: Right. I have about a. I one thing I really like about my house was built in 1970, so it's like got small closets and for Torgo, terrible. <laughs> For Torgo and us. And and terrible terrible bathrooms, you know, uh, and it's old, so it's always being fixed. But in the living room, it has a niche that's basically a a six-foot closet uh, cut into the wall. So though I have to have my furniture always arranged in the same kind of general way because of the fireplace and where
1: the TV goes. And because you're incredibly OCD.
0: Uh, no not really not, i wish
1: <laughs> you wish you were OCD. i wish i was ocd that wish, that's a bold statement
0: yeah i wish i had like you know i gotta clean that um, <laughs> but i don't have that i've never had that i wish i was a little bulimic for that matter um
1: so <laughs> see you guys are learning a lot about johnny neil today
0: but so i have a wall mounted 70 inch plasma that my wife totally scored on the day after christmas nice at uh the big fries electric electronics they only had two she got it she scored on that the only thing it's uh it's an lg the only thing weird about it is it only has two hdmi jacks
1: really yeah and then i have a little blu-ray and then uh you can get an hd splitter though oh you can oh yeah there's like a a box you plug in all it's kind of like in the old days when we had the the game switchers for the rca stuff uh, but you can plug in like multiple HDMIs and then just switch between them.
0: Oh, that's good because yeah. I have to unplug because I have the cable box going into one and then I have the DVD player, DVD Blu ray, and uh, then I have the Apple TV. Yeah. And so I have to unplug Johnny Neal. The other.
1: That's the Stone Age, man. Come on.
0: I got to get, you got to get with the times. I'm a. Have you, I've already told you to get off my
1: lawn. <laughs> <laughs> get off my lawn unless you bring in extra HDMI ports. And then I have you're the strangest uh, old man ever. I have a, a little a Bose
0: receiver with a, a big floor base and then two little speakers.
1: Oh yeah, I I crank my bass up probably way more than I should um, in this room because uh, actually last year for New Year's Eve we uh through like karaoke out here. Like I, I got a, a rented a speaker with a, a mic system, like a PA system, and then used the projector for YouTube. We did YouTube karaoke out here, it was a blast. Man, you've got big speakers. I do, yeah. I like I like especially when I'm watching like Fast and the Furious or eighties oh, yeah. action movies, like I like to feel it. I like to feel
0: it. Mine are, mine sound good but they don't they don't really rumble, you know.
1: You need more rumble, I need more rumble. for your bumble. I, I don't know. What I just, just don't
0: want cables everywhere.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I kind of run You know what? This is we're, we're we're talking more about ourselves than
0: That's that's who they care about.
1: That's that's all people care about. They, they
0: don't Sure, don't care about this shitty stack of movies.
1: Okay. This is going to be an interesting <laughs> show because while I agree that some of the movies in our very odd mishmash of a stack this week are bad, um I also vehemently disagree with you on a couple of them and we will get to that in just a moment but first a movie that i'm pretty sure we both agree on and that is stranger land this is a uh 2015 i hesitate to say thriller because it's not oh, no. thrilling. now uh, not a thrill to be out in that.
0: oh mitch <laughs> mitch is here my my australian cousin mitch
1: that's I, not a thriller I, good night <laughs> cuz that's a thriller <laughs> Uh, this stars Nicole Kidman, Joseph Fiennes, and Hugo Weaving. Um, so basically, this is a family. It, t- it takes place in Australia because...
0: In the outback.
1: In the outback.
0: And there's a big joey blow. That's what that's what we call it when the dust comes.
1: I didn't it's know that. It's a joey blow. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, well, we don't talk about it. I don't
1: know a lot of things.
0: It doesn't bring in a lot of those tourist dollars.
1: Tommy Kangaroo down. <laughs> Money, well, quickly exhausting the amount of my Australian lingo that oh, I know. you telling me I don't know know uh, oh, What? Well,
0: what's now that? I'm getting ringoey It's a. It's a stingray. Oh my god! He just poked me through the chest. You know oh, what? Well, you died
1: like all. i, I still gets. think that's a little too soon. I oh, am um, Gonna let it pace. I'm gonna let it pace. Uh, you, you're um, gonna hunt crocs. <laughs> hunt the crocs. So this whole review is just going to be us doing terrible you Australian action. This was more entertaining than that movie. This is not an entertaining movie. This is a movie that is supposed to be very introspective, very character-driven, very... Um, melancholy is, is a word that you use that I think actually fits this to a Border collie. Border-cally. collie. <laughs> Stop it. Sheltie. Um, this is basically what happens in this movie is you have this really fucked-up, dysfunctional family um, that has to move to this town in what is the middle of the Outback, um, only to have their children wander off one night. They don't know where they are. Hugo Weaving plays uh, the local town sheriff who's helping with the investigation. And it's about sort of the deeper, darker side of this family that gets um, revealed as they are searching for their children. And all amounts to a big, wet fart of a finale. Uh, I mean, I I don't think I'm using the technical film, film school term, yeah, but this, so that's
0: what we call it in the, in the outback
1: <laughs> wet fart it's Australian wet for fart. bad ending.
0: Yeah, but uh, we uh we got to filter that because there's no moisture.
1: That's true. Got it's a big it. dry You know what? That's better. It's a big dry fart.
0: It's a popcorn fart.
1: It's a popcorn fart. Um so yeah, cuz all this this movie keeps building and building toward I mean, you're watching Nicole Kidman who clearly thinks she's going to get nominated for an Oscar in this movie uh because she is playing crazy. She is, um you She's know, playing
0: sad and drunk.
1: Playing sad and drunk. She is naked at one point, completely. So I mean, this the clearly
0: she gets the farther away the camera is for the, the nude scene.
1: <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Just
0: something I noticed. I um, inventory going in my mind.
1: And it's sort of about the the interplay of the relationship of her and her husband and how difficult that's been, and their past with their children, and and. All of that is tied into once again, and I feel like this is this is the part where the movie loses me because I actually watch a lot of Australian movies. They're usually Australian genre films, but even those films do the same thing where they try to they use the outback and the desolation and sort of the the inherent scariness of the outback and how vast it is and how hopeless it is as a metaphor or as an underscore for the personal trials and tribulations of the characters. Like this felt very much kind of like wake and fright. Yeah, uh, I
0: thought I kept thinking of
1: are they, are they in the yabo? The yabo? <laughs> oh, I don't know. How do you
0: like the yabo? I
1: don't know. Um, but yeah, I think they, they really try to get into these like complex relationships and these and these um, uh, this turmoil really within this family. But ultimately, you're just like, are they going to find the kids or not? Because at this point, I I I'm not, or at least I wasn't super invested. In in the relationships, and I wasn't super invested in the personal drama, and the and if you try to watch this movie from a mystery standpoint, it is really unsatisfying.
0: Well, okay, can I can I talk <laughs> yeah, now? Yeah, okay, go, first, you can talk anytime. I don't like to interrupt. I'm a <laughs> I'm a very thoughtful person, very thoughtful. Um, I think. Um, I I at least I put that on my Tinder profile. You should. Um, I don't have one. I got to tell you, I I have said this before, and I'll say it again. I think Nicole Kidman is the Marilyn Monroe of our day. I think that in future generations, people are going to look back on her and go, oh my God, what a gift she was to cinema. How did we take her for granted as much as we did? She's amazing. She has so much... She has the ability to bring so much sadness to, to the surface that just deep, deep wells of emotion. So... If there was anything in this movie that worked, it was Nicole Kidman. The script that she had to work with sucked. There was no story because they kept hinting at stories. Mm-hmm. And then they would abandon them. Yeah. So, uh, and then it wasn't interestingly directed. The opening scenes are this boy get, is kind of a... Uh, for one, it's cooler at night, is my logic, and then he he's just kind of a nocturnal kid who he goes walkabout. He does a little local uh, walkabout he in their walkabout. Uh, Mayberry yabo FD town that they're in. He goes walking around, but it's clearly a day for night shoot. Yeah, and if you start with day for night, you really don't know that it's night. Yeah. So it's like, oh, that was during the night. Later on, when he, she goes, did you walk last night? I'm like, oh, that was supposed to be nighttime. I thought it was, maybe it was cloudy or something. Yeah. Um, and there's all these dead kangaroos hanging on a
1: clothesline. That was kind of skinned and dead Wait, kangaroos. Wait, is that just not something that happens in every Australian it, movie? I, I always wonder that, like, why would you leave it hanging outside? It sounds like a children's song, like, ten dead kangaroos hanging on my clothesline. <laughs> Mama called the doctor and the doctor that's sad. Drink a lot of beer and get the fuck out of my face. And oh my god, there is a lot of beer. Oh, there, okay, yeah. so... Then... And I'm sorry, uh, the one thing I did take away from this movie, Australia does cans of beer right. They're big. They're, they're fucking, oil and, and not No, not even just the oil cans, but like at one point somebody hands Hugo Weaving a... No, it's a bottle. Yeah, it's a bottle. It's a bottle of beer that looks like a half pint of milk. <laughs> <laughs> she... And I was like, yes! And it's his girlfriend bringing him over and yeah. she
0: holds up two bottles of beer and they're huge. She's like, totally. her muscles are all flexed. <laughs> So, so the daughter that we meet in the morning, she's in her little pantaloons and kind of a wife-beater shirt. There's no way that girl was 15. No. But she was just amazing. She was really beautiful. Looked like she could have been... now i'm blanking on her name uh madison brown nicole kidman's daughter she looked like she really could have been nicole kidman's daughter madison brown that's the name of the actress she was adorable it turns out okay anyway blah 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 a windstorm comes she gets up the night before the windstorm comes goes out walking with her brother the father ray joseph finds uh watches them leave And gets mad, and then you think, oh, he's going to follow him. And then they're missing the next day, and you're going, oh, my God, he went and killed his own kids. And then all these hints are dropped that the reason they live in that shitty town is because he molested her at some point in her life. I mean, it starts with this, you touch me in the dark and I can't talk about it kind of poetry. I mean, that's literally the line. And then, so you think that he killed him. And then you find out that they moved there because she had an affair with a teacher, and he beat the shit out of the teacher. Yeah. And now why you would be sentenced to work a pharmacy in the Outback is an odd uh, bit of logic.
1: And that's the thing that really bugs me, Johnny. Neal. There was no payoff— for the fact that he watches his children walk away and doesn't follow them. Right. There's no payoff for that.
0: See, it, it it was the kind of thing where the movie itself was an unreliable narrator. Yes. Because it was just so poorly put together. Yeah. There's a scene where he goes sneaking out at night and looking in people's windows, and it's just like an old man watching TV, and you're going, oh, he's got her in the garage or something. I mean, they try to build this weird tension, and then they would, would abandon it. Yeah. Uh Hugo Weaving was pretty good as the cop. It was nice to see him just play a normal guy. Yeah. And he was the guy who was like I'm the cop in a town full of drunks, probably miners, you know, or or, you know, field strip guys. Apparently there's only one helicopter in Australia. So if your kids get lost during a, a joey blow, um it's gonna take a few days for it to get to you for them to do a search. Interesting. Um there's a I'm
1: learning so much.
0: I'm a big fan of uh, Michelangelo Antonioni, the Italian director, <laughs> and his movie La Ventura is uh it's a wonderful, great, slow moving movie where nothing happens. But a girl disappears. That's the plot of the movie is this girl disappears. And people are looking for her uh, on these islands around Italy Mm. or in whatever part of Europe has islands. And they're looking for her from one island to the next, thinking that she took a a boat ahead of them. And eventually they just kind of stop looking for her. and She gets lost in the narrative. And it's got a, a big existentialist thread running through it. This just had bad writing running through it. Because, <laughs> here's a spoiler, they never find the girl, and we guess that she just ran away from home. Yeah. And then, even though he was accused of molesting his daughter, he says, how can you say that? And she goes, oh, I'm sorry. And it's kind of like, well, it's pretty obvious when you look at her journal, and then... I it, this movie sucked.
1: <laughs> I don't disagree with you. It you're absolutely correct. You're was, absolutely it correct. It
0: was so unsatisfying as to not even be sad.
1: Yeah, you know, like you just you're just frustrated. And I want I want to compare this movie not to the film itself, but to an action taken in a movie that we forgot to cover on our last show, The Water Diviner, that we both watched and then just plum forgot to talk plum about.
0: Forgot to talk about it. But and I want add another Australia.
1: Yeah, but I want to compare this movie to that in that the drama of the film is very much like trying to find a well in the outback. It's like you're kind of walking around and you feel it. You feel like, okay, there's going to be something here. But then imagine, like, if Russell Crowe had started to dig and then there was no water there. No water. That's what this movie feels like. It feels like you are constantly wandering around with something you think is bubbling under the surface and it turns out there's just nothing there once you actually plumb deeper
0: and in in that movie the water diviner which i highly recommend it's
1: actually pretty good it's a really good
0: movie yeah. he tells olga kurlyanko plays a turkish woman and when he tells he goes to turkey to look for the bodies of his sons and when he uh who were killed in world war one and when uh he tells this turkish woman <laughs> she says what do you do and he says i'm a water diviner she says, "What is that?" Oh, I find, uh, I find the water, and I dig the wells. And she says, D- "Does it always work?" And he says, "No, not all the time. Sometimes I dig and dig, and there's nothing." That's Guess what Strangerland. They don't make movies about the guy who digs and digs and doesn't
1: find anything. <laughs> that movie opens with him single
0: handedly digging a well after following, you know, with a, a big turkey wishbone kind of thing.
1: An apt allegory for the experience of watching Strangerland. I feel. Yeah. Well, moving on from there to something Johnny Neal said to me, I'm not watching that because I am too old, which I don't blame him for. I said I'm 52.
0: I don't watch cartoons about Batman riding on dinosaurs.
1: This is Batman Unlimited's monster mayhem. Now, I want to point something out. I have never watched Batman Unlimited. For me, there is Batman the Animated Series, and everyone else can fuck off. I agree. All the other Batman cartoons can fuck off.
0: All the other movies... For that matter, I stop mean stop that. To me, Don't Batman the animated series is the perfect Batman.
1: It in a lot of ways I agree with that. However, I still like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. But I like the Tim Burton. Let's call the whole thing all no. <laughs> um so I just want to point something out. This one's called Monster Mayhem. And has Batman riding a fucking robot dinosaur, which, by the way, happens in like the last five minutes of the goddamn movie. Well, that's um, a
0: spoiler of
1: a cover. Uh, yeah, and it, it's well, it's like you wait the whole you're like, wait, where's the is dinosaur? It? And then it shows up, and you're like, Didn't wait, you, were, you, were you, Well, really but then I'm like, it? why the fuck is Batman riding a metal dinosaur in the first place? Who does he think I'm he about is, about Optimus these, Prime? I'm about all these action figures. Uh, <laughs> this is garbage. Uh, I just want to throw this. I don't know who writes this fucking Batman Unlimited show, but first of all, you and I, this is not the first Batman Unlimited release we've covered. The other- one was called animal instincts right and had like a big like uh, like monster bat toy that came with it so monsters and and batman riding animals is all this company apparently does is all batman unlimited apparently is and it's so i thought one of the great things about batman the animated series is that it was able to brush darker material yes and still be a kid show this is so fucking g-rated it is so neutered for little kids that maybe it's just because of me and the fact that I'm a little bit older and I like my Batman a certain way and I, I like like the the darker, Jokers and stuff. But like the like the villains are also like it, it was like watching Wacky Racers. Ah, it felt less like Batman villains and more like dastardly and mutley. Like it just it just did nothing to draw me in. I thought the story was really banal. Um, I think I don't like the way they animate the villains. I do. I, I'm trying to think of good things to say. You can't. I, I can't. You know they 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 just, just does a nothing. Book? No, this didn't come with anything this time. Uh, it does have a lot. If you like Clayface, he's in this a lot. So there you go. Um, but yeah, this is. And I don't understand why it has 42 minutes of extra content because I think that's longer than the movie actually was. Uh, no, the movie's 80 minutes, and there's 42 minutes of extra content that amounts to a whole lot of nothing. I'm just not a fan of Batman. Unlimited. I don't like the way. I don't like the way it's drawn. Um, I think it's way too kitty for my taste. Um, which again is is not really a knock against it because if they're not making it for me, of course I'm not going to like it. But um I don't know. I just I don't see the point of this original movie. Like this just feels like a couple of episodes that are like hamstrung together.
0: Is that a, is that a series now on it, TV? Is it
1: not? I don't know. I don't. At
0: the time, I mean, I remember there was fuck, that dude, other. That's Batman a good question. And, there was that Batman show that was on that had like a crazy Joker, you know. Yeah, it was very stylized.
1: There, like there was like Batman Beyond, which took place yeah, in the future. Yeah, but that was
0: still kind of in the Batman. Yeah,
1: and that's I've anime, heard that's pretty so. good actually. But oh, you've never seen those? I've not are, seen
0: those are. Pretty
1: good. Pretty good. I mean, you know, like that whole Fair run
0: with Justice League yeah. uh, Unlimited. And oh, yeah, Superman Justice League Unlimited is great. The Superman, that whole Bruce, Bruce, Tim, Paul Dini.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm quickly backpedaling and retracting my words because I realize I also liked certain aspects of Batman Brave and the Bold. So, oh, yeah, I won't say they can all fuck off. I will say Batman Unlimited can totally fuck off because this is just. This is ridiculous stuff. And I mean, it it's so campy. Some of the things that happen in this may might as well have been from the rejected script, the rejected sequel to Batman and Robin. Um it's just it, I mean, I mean basically what happens in this is that the Joker takes over all the technology of Gotham City and like makes himself the ruler because it's like, "Ah, you can't use your refrigerator unless you rat on your friends." So he's setting up like this fascist electronic dictatorship. It's it's so goofy. Um, but, yeah, Batman rides a robot dinosaur, and if that's what you're looking for, you will not be disappointed. Speaking of disappointed, we're going to talk about the... <laughs> another G-rated movie. No, I'm, I'll tell you why I'm disappointed, and it's not in this movie. It is in Johnny Neal's inability, heart. My heart. his inability to love something that is so magnificent. And I'm, of course, talking about the uh the Shout Factory uh, no, I'm sorry. This is this is Sony TriStar. This just looks like a Shout Factory release. So, Bravo, Sony TriStar, the 30th anniversary oh, edition, 30th. not the 20th, Johnny Neal, of Barry Gordy's "The Last Dragon." You are the last dragon. do 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 do. do. Johnny, Neil, why do you hate life? Why why, <laughs> why do you have. I mean, I'm not asking bad. leading questions. I don't this, mean to ask leading questions. This is
0: the Mac and me of martial arts. How movies. dare you? There's a Coke commercial in the middle of it. How dare you, There's sir? There's a giant Coke commercial in the middle of this movie.
1: Okay, first of all, I think we need to get this out of the way. I don't know if you know this about me, but quality and affinity are not mutually exclusive. Yeah, I can get that. Okay. Uh, I will admit to you that there might be some less than perfect elements to this film. There might be some shortcomings in the areas of script, acting, lighting, directing, shot composition, a lot of things. But this is such a cool movie. That's so much fun. I can't believe you didn't have fun watching this.
0: I had fun for about 35 minutes, and then it just was like, oh, come that, on. That's a sizable amount. And then, I know, right? I mean, <laughs> it was like, okay, what? And then it just kept shifting gears yeah, it, it, it went from the dojo that was the same dojo that was in uh that ninja movie that we watched with the,
1: uh, yes. the dolls full of heroin. yes Revenge It was the, the same
0: dojo. It's they it's all this it's all one dojo all the,
1: all the holes. I don't know if you knew this about the 80s, all the dojos were the same. <laughs> That's right. When, like, when, 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 uh, when Bruce Leroy left that dojo, the Cobra Kai came in. Yeah, did you hear what he just said, everybody? Bruce, Bruce Leroy. Leroy. This movie is in a lot of ways a tribute to slash incendiary ripoff of everything that was great about bruce lee i mean you have a main character who um who wants to be bruce lee who idolizes bruce lee and has you know himself had martial arts training um who I mean, okay He's, his name is is leroy green but everyone calls him bruce leroy and he wants to become bruce lee essentially and he,
0: he, that's not like They're not goofing on him by calling him Bruce Leroy. That would be like you're goofing on somebody. Right. A guy named Leroy that does martial arts, you would say, who are you, Bruce Leroy? Right, right. But But no, with him, it's a very honorific
1: title. It is. He has touched the final level of martial arts uh, achievement, which is called being the last dragon. Uh, And when you reach this level, you can have the glow, glow. which is this mystical energy. Um, But he has to face down... Show enough played to you know, I'm gonna use a word I I used before in this episode, but ostentatious perfection by Julius J. Carey the third. This is one of the greatest eighties villains of all time. This guy chews scenery like he's a termite with a brand new set of dentures. It is just he comes in and he's like who is the Shogun of Harlem? Show enough? Am I the meanest? Show enough. Am I the baddest? Show enough. Oh my god. This movie is so campy, so ridiculous, so much fun. I I love it. I absolutely love The Last Dragon. It I mean, it's not a movie you're gonna want to watch if you are a hardcore martial arts purist.
0: Oh, that's not the problem.
1: That's that's not the pr- – oh, no. what, what is – is it that it's vanity? Is that the love interest no, is played I, by vanity? I, uh, I I did type to you uh, – this was – Oh, my God. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. I completely forgot that Johnny I, Neal may not even have to tell us what he didn't like I about did the I did uh,
0: the running inventory of the movie as I watched it. I really enjoyed the first 30 or 40 minutes from a, a total goofball standpoint. And then it just seemed to repeat itself, honestly. That was the big thing. It just kind of kept – Hammering in the same jokes and it had the choreography of a an old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. So an old mutant Ninja Turtle. Didn't they remake them? An older mutant Ninja Turtle. I don't know. I mean, that's
1: that that was so long ago for me. This should become a regular segment on this show, by the way.
0: Live tweet where
1: I I read the running commentary from Johnny Neal. It, It goes as follows in this order. This movie is like a Weird Al fever dream. Bruce Leroy? Hashtag Bruce Leroy Life Matters. <laughs> Bruce
0: Leroy's Life Matters.
1: Wow. Uh, well,
0: I mean, they were going to kill him, and then he kind of snuck away.
1: Quote Take this, it belonged to Bruce Lee. That's quite a line. William H. Macy playing the same guy from (laughs) Booking Night. He shows up and he's like 12 years old. He's real
0: young. He's wearing a big poofy tracksuit. Oh, my God. No, come on. You got to do this for me. Are you you sure it's William H. Macy? Oh, yeah. I know it's William H. He could have been William H. Mullet at the time. But, yeah, it's William H. Macy.
1: Um, And then we move further down. Shown up the Shogun of Harlem. So you got to the good scene. Yeah uh barry gordy is a whole different strain of reverse racism yeah i mean he makes black people look stupid he it's it's not (laughs) even black exploitation
0: it's dumb exploitation
1: we should talk about barry gordy and why it's interesting that he's producing this movie yeah the the godfather of motown i mean the the guy who systematically robbed so many people of their money (laughs) um yeah but look what he gave he gave us all so he much. He gave us The Last Dragon, which I think he is a fair He gave us The treat. Supremes. He gave us The Jackson 5. And The Last Dragon. <laughs> That's uh, I, I feel like we're not going to get on the same page about that.
0: I think you might need to look up uh, Wikipedia for Barry Gordy more than...
1: Uh, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Wiki, Wikipedia. Wikipedia.
0: But uh, I just found it to be. You can finish reading my comments. He, oh yeah, yeah. I'll let's let's finish this. You,
1: uh... Uh, I wish David Tell had an audio track on this. <laughs> it really, it really needed him. Starring de Barge in Pog form.
0: <laughs> yeah, it says on the box that El DeBarge is going to be in it, and I'm thinking, okay, so this is a Motown movie. It's going to have a bunch of musicians in it, right? And Vanity runs a like Friday Night Videos show. And she goes, "Hey everybody, it's the newest hit from El Barge, and it's the video <laughs> that was on MTV in and the '80s." Cut
1: two. Well, that technically counts as him being in the movie. I don't yeah. know if you know this. Is this G-rated?
0: Yeah. Is it?
1: I I think it might be. I
0: think it might be
1: because- PG-13. Boom! Suck it, PG-13. <laughs> oh, so good. Kiss my converse. Okay. Oh. Actually, the literally the next thing you wrote. Kiss my converse.
0: Kiss my. Okay. This is who Barry Gordy gave the world. Okay. Uh, Motown. Well, I I know what Motown okay. is, but These go are ahead. the people that Barry Gordy signed to Motown. Yeah. The Jackson Five, The Corporation, The Supremes, Smokey Robinson, The Temptations, Stevie Wonder, Diana Ross, The Four Tops, The Miracles, Marvin Gaye, Martha and the Vandellas, Michael Jackson, Rockwell. His nephew,
1: Rockwell. His, right. Well, it just keeps going, in other words. Look, he also gave us the last dragon and I, I just want really to throw that into a the
0: footnote on in the his, resume no it should be resume. a prominent
1: note in the resume and what else did i say you said <laughs> <laughs> yes tell me the funny <laughs> i tell made. me what i said that was brilliant why won't bruce leroy just fight show yeah why wouldn't because he he's zen because he's a man of peace so he watches him beat up everybody else well he's also dumb. in the dumb. movie theater that's well, got bruce
0: lee playing he's
1: also dumb uh yeah, he's real dumb vj vanity before prince used her used her up and she ran into the arms of jesus
0: all of the women that prince ever sponsors in some way it, when they get done with him they turn into jesus well they, they're it's trying like, to i don't know what kind of shit he puts them through that they did have you see go. purple
1: rain he, yeah i mean this is how they purify themselves
0: after he's <laughs> exactly. purified them it's like oh i did some crazy shit
1: back there jesus please is, help me and <laughs> this is the next note is leroy autistic yeah, I really thought he was. And then Bruce Leroy again with a question mark, as if you still can't get over the name. <laughs> Barry Gordy sure must have hated Cindy Lauper. Oh my god, there's this,
0: this fat, red-headed woman in this movie that is completely a bad Cindy Lauper. And uh, <laughs> she's singing these songs, and she's talking like Betty Boop. And it's like, dude, why are you so mad at Cindy Lauper, Barry
1: Gordy? Fast forwarding, this movie isn't even fun, and then shittiest dick tracy villains ever oh my god there's this one scene where i it's
0: it's like a live action ninja turtles cartoon like all of the all of the uh villains that would be there there's like russian wrestlers and and just it's and they're all fighting this guy show enough and nobody- the Shogun of Harlem. Shogun of Harlem. And then my last comment about the children.
1: Yes, the Motown. This Motown movie is stacked with the children of the parents who settled out of court with Michael Jackson. That's the only reason this movie exists. Are you fucking kidding me? That is the only reason this movie Wait, was made. Are you being serious right now? Yes. Wait, on like no, you're not making a joke. Like this, this movie has. I, it's a
0: theory. I'm floating <laughs> a theory.
1: That's how Michael Jackson got out of trouble. That is incendiary to the point of libelous. Is it? I think so. To who? To people who listen, who represent the interest of Barry Gordy. Uh, We are going to get so many letters from Barry Gordy. He's probably
0: going to send me a a little "How did you know?" kind of thing. It'll be in code. Look, I think that this movie was made as a vehicle for all of the children that Michael Jackson molested, as a way of settling out of court. Because it's filled with
1: little little boys. I am going to offer an alternative theory. This is just one of those great spectacle films of the 80s, and by that I don't mean spectacle in the way that, like, Aliens or a, a regular budgeted movie with, a, okay, okay. with, with is competent Okay, put on par people. with something. What is it on par with? It is on par with something like... That's a good question. It is on par... Meatballs 2? No, 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 no. With something like... No, it's not as good as Meatballs 2. You really put me on the spot with that one.
0: Dollar movies were invented for this.
1: Hold on,
0: this is for Saturday matinee. I'm telling you, it's the Mac and Me of uh, of
1: martial arts. I'm gonna go with the Blob remake. It is on par with the Blob remake as something that you kind of just have to see to believe that it truly exists. That's got Johnny Drama. This is this is the monkey's head of the '80s. Like this is a movie that you kind of can't believe exists. In a lot of ways, it's is just so much fun in the off-the-wall characters that it constructs. And the fact that you can tell that the person who actually wrote this movie actually does have an affinity for Bruce Lee and is trying to make uh, a, a more urban martial arts film. Not doing it well, but that it's, there's a sincerity in, in this movie. And there's there's a lot of just great one-liners. There's a lot of stuff that, when it even when this movie fails, this is what I will say about it, even when this movie fails... It fails to a degree of sincerity that is completely respectable to me. So I enjoy the hell out of it. I think it's one of the classic cult films of the 80s because it is. And this was Brian's inner child. I'm, justified. I didn't even see this as a child. I can't even, I can't even
0: fall back on that. Okay, did it have a Coke commercial in the middle of the movie? Look, that's not important. Did the, movie, important, did the movie stop? For a literal Coke commercial.
1: That is not as bad as a movie that's actually sponsored by McDonald's, and that's why it's called Mac and Me. That's a, Those are two completely different worlds. I'm just saying. Are they? Yes. Completely? No, but they're degrees <laughs> of the same world, and I can completely... I, I am okay with the level of difference in those levels. The
0: value of this movie can be determined by how much you love William H. Macy, and if you're in a William H. Macy trivia contest, you can find... The secret answer that nobody else knows
1: on Blu-ray for the first time, guys, in this 30th anniversary edition that has a beautiful painted cover that really does look like something the Shout Factory would put out. And this whole release kind of looks like, even the way the, the stuff is structured on the back, looks like a, a Scream Factory or a Shout Factory release. I think they're starting to take cues. I thought it looked like a Mondo poster.
0: Like it, it does, kind right? of does, right? Mondo. Boaster. And there's
1: a, an all-new look at the making and legacy of the movie featuring interviews with Mack, who is the guy who plays Bruce Leroy. And what else has he done? Uh, this movie, first of all, the two stars of this movie each have one name.
0: Yeah. Mack and Vanity. And what about Shonuff? Shonuff has the longest
1: name, Julius J. Carey Third.
0: Did he do anything else?
1: That's a really good question. Is he in the Giannino. Mod Squad? He was probably in the Mod Squad. Yeah, uh, that's that's probably where you've seen is him he, before. Uh, was
0: he the guy that wore the, the Harry and the Hendersons Bigfoot suit?
1: Um, I is cannot he, verify is, that. Is he a uh, jacket with Bigfoot? You know, Los if Colorado you're just going to throw questions at me, and you know I haven't done my it's research. It's so fun to watch your eye, eyelid twitch, he, because you're mm-hmm. really taking this personally. No, I'm not. I'm just trying to find out if he did anything. That's not the point. You know what? It's not the point. Uh, new interviews... Time Barry Gordy, the original trailer, also has the director's commentary from the DVD release. Pick this shit up. I highly recommend it. Uh, I'm imagining um, the interview is like on not uh, Law and Order when they
0: come in with they're like, oh, there was a murder. And the guy's like, you know, deep frying the French fries in the back. Well, he seemed like a nice lady, you know. If there was and a murder. people that were. Yo, he'll solve it. That would be it. the interview. Yeah. It's like, hey, weren't you in The Last Dragon? Yeah, hold on a minute. I got to put it on my hairnet.
1: <laughs> Showed up. <laughs> Show enough. Yeah, we're really friends. But we acted like we didn't like each other. Moving on to something that is actually a Scream Factory release, like for a fact. Um this is uh, I'm actually really excited they just put this out because we talked about this not too long ago on Junk Food Cinema, every Tuesday, filmscore Um and this is the first the feature film debut of director John McTiernan. Yeah, that was a big surprise. Uh this is Nomads. Now Nomads is a supernatural thriller starring Pierce Brosnan. Uh which again, very strange that it is the first film directed by John McTiernan because no John McTiernan film since this has felt like this. No. Um and it's very disjointed as well. It it's a little
0: And it has Adam Ant.
1: It it does have Adam Ant. That's the dress absolutely true. is correct. kinda
0: like show enough.
1: Yeah. Um. This and this movie starts with uh with a death, uh, with the death of its main character. Right.
0: That's where it really is disjointed.
1: <laughs> yes, and then kind of going back through, and, and you know, uh, discovering uh, he's he's a uh, sociologist and he's studying nomadic tribes, and the movie kind of slowly unveils this mystery in which he starts to realize that there is a sort of supernatural quality to nomads. Um, that can kind of, like, people can be nomadic spiritually. Like, they can be nomadic. Their souls can be nomadic. Um, And it's just, it's a really intense, a really kind of quiet, I guess, thriller. It it really reminds me of of something like maybe The Hunger. Um, Yeah, that's a good, Tony Scott. Because it's it's almost
0: tangible supernatural, Mm -hmm. you know, like... Um, because you can't help but think, well, maybe she's just freaking out. Maybe, yeah, you know, I mean, having your spirit passed to somebody through biting them is, you know, you're that's not necessarily <laughs> going to be a real thing if you're just seeing it in your head. Yeah, you know, so. and it's
1: and it kind of puts forth the idea that, uh, which is really interesting for the '80s, especially that street punks are themselves a type of nomadic tribe. Yeah, uh, which I think is uh, an interesting kind of correlation to draw. And it delves in, it does that thing that a lot of 80s movies did, and you guys, there's a great book called Destroy All Movies written by uh, Zach Carlson and Brian Connolly that documents through the years how movies have treated punks and, like, the, the massive misunderstanding of punk culture that comes with a lot of these movies. This may be my favorite of the sort of, I guess you could argue, mishandling of punk culture because they literally make them into, like, dark spirits of the netherworld.
0: <laughs> yeah, but they're not
1: vampires. No, they're no, no, not no.
0: anything specific, you know. No. They are their own weird little thing, you they, know.
1: They're They are above taxonomy, I guess. I guess you could say check out the big vocabulary. What's up? I got a degree <laughs> not in this. Um but yeah, I mean, what happens is that his house gets uh gets vandalized by a bunch of punks. He starts to follow them, he starts to dig a little bit into their culture. And it culminates into this ending that is really like it, it has a lot of philosophical weight behind it. And it's kind of enigmatic at the same time. And I I love the way that McTiernan is actually able to build atmosphere throughout the whole movie. Even though he's not revealing much, like there's yeah,
0: that's part of what
1: I I very didn't get to watch this again. I mm-hmm. saw
0: it in the theater when it came out. Yeah, and it has stuck with me all those years, and it is one that I I wish I would have had time to watch again because um, this is one of those movies that I've wanted to see again. I, yeah. I couldn't remember the name of it, and as soon as I saw the the cover, I went, "This is that movie." <laughs> this is <laughs> this is that, is movie. that one. Yes, I could have just looked up Adam Ant or Pierce Brosnan, but this was
1: uh, it was better to have it in concrete in my hands. Agreed. And this is this is a, just a fantastic movie. Bill Conti does an amazing job with the score here, um, which I, I think is, is is interesting because there aren't a lot there isn't a lot in the way of scares in this movie. Um, no, it's just
0: dread. It's yes, this weird yes, dread. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember this watching the movie, and when it was over, I was. I was like really affected by it and yeah. at the same time going what the hell did I just watch? Right, exactly. Yeah, it was uh it was really strange. And I kept thinking um in the point to the to the point of one of those this is all a dream kind of things. Yes. I kept Very thinking dream-like. it like Pierce Brosnan didn't even really die kind yeah. of a point, you mm-hmm. know? Like like all of that is going to get corrected because it takes everything that you expect a movie to do and completely upends it. Absolutely. I mean, P- Pierce Brosnan was a big TV star at the time. He was pre-James Bond. So well, that, the idea of him dying at the beginning of the movie was kind of a shock.
1: Well, and what's interesting about that is this was 1986, so this would have been right at the time he thought he was going to be James Bond. Right before right. Um, Dalton. right before Remington Steele pulled the rug out from under him and said, oh, no, we're actually at the 11th hour and a half as he's on his way to the press conference to be announced as the new Bond – here comes the call from the producers of Remington Steel. Oh, we're actually not going to let you out of your contract. We actually have the option to renew, and we're going to do another season. Like, completely fucked him over. Oh.
0: I, I think he turned out better with a bit of, a, of, a bit of space.
1: That, that could very well be the case. I mean, case. really, I, I think he was better as a little
0: bit older of a Bond, because that would have been too tight on the heels. But that's another story.
1: That's another story for another day. This Nomad's released by Scream Factory. It is Scream Factory, so it has a great cover. I think this actually may be the original poster, though, as opposed to a lot of the hand-painted stuff they usually do. Um, This has a new interview with uh, actress Leslie Ann Down, who plays Pierce Brosnan's wife in the film, as well as composer Bill Conti. has the trailer, some radio spots, a photo gallery. Um, Yeah, just a really solid, interesting effort from John McTiernan right out of the gate. Highly recommend this movie. Uh, Scream Factory has done it a lot of justice. It looks and sounds terrific. Moving on to a different Shout Factory release that um, I am super excited about. This is its first time on Blu-ray, the 20th anniversary edition of Hackers. Hack the planet, Johnny Neal. Hack the planet. Have you seen this movie? I've never seen it. Johnny Neal. No, sorry. Oh, you're letting a, me down. I,
0: I was too old. I don't know. You don't have, have just uploaded
1: Sadness into my mainframe. I'm sorry. I just never saw it. This is a movie that could not be more dated if they had a calendar in the corner of the screen the entire time, slowly ticking off the hours of the actual production. That
0: great cast.
1: It absolutely does. Uh, this is a movie about. Uh, about the... <laughs> okay. This is an anthropological movie. Made by someone who doesn't know what that word means. Uh, it is like someone who is like, I'm going to make a movie about hacker culture. This
0: is like, I'm yeah,
1: gonna, maybe they're nomads too. I'm going to make a movie about what hackers really do and what their lives are really like. Uh, do you know much about computers? Never used one, but I think nobody I can do did. it. Nobody
0: That's the thing is nobody had computers yet.
1: Yeah, I think I, I mean, can do this regardless. Of this was 1995. Never there having heard of, a, of a, a computer. A
0: PC cost about three and a half thousand dollars at the time. Three and a half thousand. So yeah, thirty five hundred dollars. I, I worked at at three and a half thirty five hundred dollars. <laughs> three and a half. I've just never heard three it said. Three and a half day. thousand. Three, no, you're, it's
1: not wrong. It's not right. wrong. I just have never heard it put that way.
0: You were just watching Match or uh, Price is Right when I walked in.
1: I was watching <laughs> Press Your Luck. Thank you oh, very much. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you very I, much.
0: I have a hard time telling those two apart.
1: This is a so there's a, a young hacker, a young hacker named Dade, played by Johnny Lee Miller. Yes, uh, the American Sherlock or the British Sherlock on the American version of anyway. TV's yes. uh, uh, network televisions. He he creates a virus. He gets arrested. He can't use a computer until his 18th birthday. But when he turns 18, he has these friends uh, that he meets who are part of this hacker network. Uh, and they, they come across this plot by this uh, this dangerous computer developer guy played by Fisher Stevens. Who calls himself the Plague? Now, that's my favorite part of this movie is they all have these ridiculous hacker names like Serial, played by Matthew Lillard, who. He, he looks like Cereal. He, he looks like an insane person. He looks like. He looks like Crunch Cereal. He looks like the first member of the Insane Clown posse, uh, the first Juggalo. That's what he looks like. Uh, there's also Freak with a PH, Juggalo uh, Primo. And then, of course, <laughs> Kate. Her hacker name is Kate, and what? she's played by a very young, but still oh so gorgeous Angelina Jolie, who
0: apparently married Johnny Lee Miller as soon as this movie was over.
1: Well, he uh, he got. Uh, I was going to make some computer pun about them connecting. They, they had a ha- bite. They had more than a handshake connection. Oh, oh. their he, wedding cost more than fifty six k. Oh, downloaded all over her. Uh, apparently. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Apparently, by the way, all of the names used in this movie are real hacker handles used by real hackers, but I think that's as close as this movie gets to authenticity in terms of how hacking work. It's just it is just a crazy like barrage of like cybernetic imagery. Like this looks like and it's funny they have all these ones and zeros behind them.
0: They got the matrix thing
1: going. Because this is like (laughs) this is like if someone had heard about the Matrix. Right. And then, like, tried to make a $5 version. I know this came out before The Matrix, but the actual execution, if you've seen both films, really does feel like the $5 version uh, of of The Matrix. But, yeah, it's about them trying to stop Fisher Stevens from unleashing this virus, all while, you know, our, our hero is trying to prove that he is uh, a master hacker and... There's just it's, it's really kind of the same plot as that uh Batman cartoon you reviewed earlier. It, a little bit. There is there is a weird kind of crossover between uh Batman unlimited. Which just that in
0: general the public doesn't quite understand computers. Yeah. No matter how much they're in our lives now, we we still don't know what they do, and we're afraid of them and uh young people do know what's going on. So at being hackers, they were kind of like the next wave of punks. Yeah. Because they understood the future.
1: Oh, don't forget Acid Burn and Crash Override. There's a lot of really great a also, lot of really great also
0: Ninja Turtle villains.
1: Yeah. Um I mean there's a lot of scenes we actually see like inside the computer as they're hacking, which is my favorite part. It's like that's not you didn't like it when Michael Mann did it. Well, it's because Michael Mann is, like we said, very detailed oriented and 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 it was authentic and and right. This movie goes a different direction and makes it just about this, like, pure, like, (laughs) this this complete, like, Like nonsense. Yes, it's like if your computer ran on dreams... (laughs) and neon and and just complete nonsense i can taste the color i can t- i can taste the ram i can taste the ram for it a, is that's what this movie is like it's like doing acid <laughs> and then being able to see things that you can't normally see for a computer that cost $3000 three, 3000 and a half $3000 and, <laughs>
0: and ran at about a 12th of the speed that the one that you're tapping on right now
1: yeah they used a lot of motion controlled models for those sequences because the director thought the actual computer graphics would look too artificial in this movie about computers. He thought something generated by a computer would not be authentic to what a computer does. So
0: well, that's I mean, like that's how uh, the the, uh, the plane animation scene in Escape from New York, when they explained how they did that, instead of it being a computer graphics, that it was all a model with glow in the dark tape
1: on it and stuff that was a model remember that no i remember that that i mean is that the same principle but no what i'm saying is yeah yeah I if know. your whole goal is to show people what the ins what what computers look like on the inside, right and you're going to fail at it miserably first of all uh because you, you don't get it right, but if your whole goal is just to show people that, it seems weird to me that you're like, I don't want to use computer generated graphics because it'll look too much like a computer did it, and I'm sorry, what was the end game to make things look like what a computer looks like i I don't know how to talk to you i I just i don't you're you're a strange person director of hackers. This is the 20th anniversary edition. Uh this is such a cheesy ass movie. Like this is this is one of the great bad movies of all time, I think. This is this is like I said, it is so dated. It is a benchmark uh for like it's one of those situations where filmmakers thought they had a grasp of technology and trends and they really didn't. Um, so what you get,
0: you get, the, you get the feeling though that that was really like the studio heads said, "Hey, computers, yes, let's make a computer it is, movie."
1: It is a mixture of it's like if it's like they held a focus group inside a techno rave, right? And the result was hackers. Twentieth anniversary edition has a lot of special features. Uh, look back at hackers called the keyboard cowboys. Brand new interviews with the director, with Fisher Stevens, with Matthew Lillard, with Penn Gillette, who plays a role in the film. Is very funny. His character's name is Hal because. 2001 uh then they talked to the costume designer They to visual effects artists uh they talked to hacking consultants and film critics so there's like a lot going on here with this with this release from shout factory because they don't do anything half-assed and for that they have earned my respect so hack the planet everyone so now on to what i consider the surprise the biggest surprise of the week uh this was the hundred year old man who climbed out the window and disappeared that is the full title of this swedish film uh, based on the book by Jonas Jonas Janasson Jonas Janas Janasson Janas, which is the Janasen most Swedish Janasen. the the most Swedish name I think I've ever heard this was something a movie that Johnny Neil you actually told me that this was the the highest grossing film in Sweden
0: the highest Swedish made movie highest grossing Swedish made
1: movie ever. interesting
0: yeah and it was a popular book um, yeah it's one of those very Swedish, zany, good-hearted. Yes, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of like German and Swedish and uh, Danish comedy type stuff are those uh-huh. what they call those shaggy dog stories, you know, where it's yep. just for the sake of telling the story. This is a very old dog story. Oh yes. Uh, oh, he's at least a hundred in dog years.
1: This is a uh, this the the main character Alan uh, is in a nursing home. He's about to celebrate his hundredth birthday, and he decides. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to I'm going to go start my life over. I'm just going to I'm going to go out in the world and see what I can find and um so he literally crawls out the window uh of the as they're planning his birthday party, he just he just walks away. And the film is kind of told it's a story told in two parts. Uh almost Forrest Gump like uh in that you have the present story of what's going on and then you have a lot of flashbacks to the more interesting aspects of this guy's life and I I find that there was a lot of comedy uh, a lot of really effective comedy in both sides of that because in his 100-year-old walkabout that he's going on, um, he does things like he accidentally steals like $50 million or $50 million whatever currency they For use. For owner. Sure, from, uh, from a, uh, a group of drug dealers. He doesn't know it. He's just like commanded to watch a suitcase at a bus station by some young punk, and he's like, well, there's my bus. So he told me I can't leave this suit. I'm just going to take it with me. Um and then you know he meets interesting characters he ends up, so like that going on is very that's one of my favorite types of Scandinavian movies, sort of like the the crime comedy Murphy's law, like everything that can go wrong will for criminals except that it's he's not a criminal that story is just kind of going on in his periphery and then the even more uh, charming part of this movie is you learn about his life and all these interesting things that happened to him you know they thought he was it's it's really about sort of the 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 absurd people that ...affected his life, the absurd people that um, made decisions for him, never really understanding that he wasn't a complete hopeless case. Uh, One of my favorite things is that they talk about when he was a kid, he loved to blow stuff up, and he actually, like, his mom ended up accidentally trading a Fabergé egg for food because they were starving... She didn't know it was worth a lot, and then he ended up accidentally blowing up the guy that got rich off of the Fabergé egg just because he was testing explosives when the guy was taking a piss. Um, So there's a lot of, like, wacky slapstick-type stuff, um, but it has a lot of heart. You really do start to feel for this character and... Um, you know, despite everything he 's been through he's he 's a very sweet guy, and I just thought it was i thought it was very funny and i didn 't expect much from this. I had never heard of it when I first saw the cover. I thought it said the thousand year old man and I thought that was mel brooks yeah yeah uh, but it is not uh this is just a really sweet, very charming comedy uh The humor works in so many different ways it is just it is just like it 's not it 's never crude, but it is just adult comedy enough to really be able to stretch and and find these new avenues to create some absurd situations and I, I think they do a really good job with it. And uh yeah, this was this was probably the most surprising thing of the whole week.
0: Could have been really corny.
1: Could have it, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Could have been so triacol and like been just like the you know, like too fawning, too uh, nostalgic, too you know, but it it's not you know, and a lot of people have accused Forrest Gump of being too nostalgic, too oh, yeah. triacol. I get that. Like this if if you kind of feel that way about Forrest Gump but you still like aspects of it, I highly recommend The Hundred-Year-Old Man Who Climbed Out of the Window and uh disappeared because it's it's pretty fantastic in the way that it handles all of that material. So
0: Well, I can tell you my wife is Swedish from the Midwest. My father That's not where Sweden is, Johnny. My fo- well, she's from Iowa and everybody there is pretty Swedish. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's something I and, did not know about Iowa. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, you should hear them talk up there. They—it's uh, like a Prairie Home Companion with the Lutherans and all that. Except they'll be like, "Well, oh, you don't want to go over there. That's that's a town full of Germans." Or that's forget a, it, Jacob's Germantown. There's, there... <laughs> yeah, you don't want to. You don't want. Yeah, people will talk. <laughs> and my, it's funny that his name's Alan because my father-in-law's name is Alan. Oh, and there you he's go. Swedish. So there you go. Yeah, she's only like second generation. America or third generation
1: well I know you didn't get a chance to see this Johnny Neal but I highly recommend it
0: well I I would like another shot at it
1: all right <laughs> we're gonna let you have that other shot uh but we need to talk about the Criterion release of the week the which I'm super excited about the week. because a few years ago I will admit it was not long ago probably three or so years ago I became a Brian De Palma convert uh um, oh, you didn't
0: like him before
1: I didn't know anything like the only Brian De Palma movies that I had seen up to that point were Untouchable's And Scarface. So I thought he was just a gangster filmmaker. Right, right, yeah. Uh, And then I saw Blowout. And Blowout destroyed my brain. I loved it so much. I had to watch it like four or five times. Yeah, great, great movie. Absolutely love it. And this, I feel, is just, just shy of the greatness of Blowout. It is not quite on that level. But one of the things you have to understand about Brian De Palma as you're watching his movies is that he was heavily, heavily heavily influenced by Alfred Hitchcock. In fact, Blowout, you could argue, is just a rework of Rear Window, where instead of seeing a crime through a camera, he hears it through a microphone. Mm-hmm. And it works on a lot of the same levels. Dress to Kill, which is the 1980 film that has just been released on Criterion Blu-ray, is his tribute to Psycho. Um, Johnny Neal, you, you've seen this movie. You uh, You told me that you thought this was like... What? How did you put it?
0: It's not one of my favorites of his. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, first, Brian De Palma is, I would say, 60% Alfred Hitchcock. Uh-huh. I mean, he's 100% of his own man, sure, but he's sure. 60% Alfred Hitchcock, and I would say 40% European New Wave, French New Wave, because yeah. there's an awful lot of stuff that the English would never do mm-hmm. and that your average American would not never do. Right. So there's uh, – so like Blow Up or – Blowout. Yeah, is also a little bit of blow up, which is right. again a Michelangelo Antonioni. That's a blow up. is a great movie. One of my favorite. You've got to
1: talk about Antonioni a lot on this episode. I, he is
0: he is just a brilliant. <laughs> if you've never seen The Red Desert, I really recommend that. That's a Criterion release that will just knock your socks off or bore you to death. One or the other. There's no middle ground with him. Uh, <laughs> dress. The, the the weird thing about De Palma that I have uh, flexed with. Back and forth that I've sometimes liked it and sometimes felt it was really obvious is that he'll put these like the mouse trap game you know that where you you, you uh the the rubber band snaps and the boot kicks the th- there's Rube Goldberg kind of machinations mm-hmm. in the middle of his movies, and I can't remember one specifically in dress to kill except perhaps just the the plot itself is its right. own weird the machinations of everything has to be in place at the right time. And he'll introduce all those different parts in his movies. Uh, There was that one that John Lithgow movie uh, with the raising cane, raising cane with the Mm -hmm. statue, with the big arrow. Yeah, I mean, he's the guy with, if you see the gun in the first act, you know, with him, it's, if you see the swordfish in the ocean, at some point, somebody's going to have a swordfish down their throat. You know, there's, there's that. Um, I think he's great at giving you, hallucinogenic dreamy kind of uh mindscapes in his people you you get the mood that they're in the way they're kind of floating through a scene mm-hmm. um i'm very very big on de palma one of my favorite de palma movies is femme fatale i don't know how anybody could not love that movie wow uh, a
1: very maligned uh, yeah, piece of wrong. brian de palma they all film.
0: they all watched it wrong hmm. i love that movie um and sisters i i, I love sisters as well but uh Dress to Kill, I like it a lot. I need to see it again. I didn't have time to see it this week and hmm. I also didn't get it, but I'm not going to point fingers.
1: Well, I, I said. <laughs> you've seen Dress to Kill, right? Yes. Okay, then we're good. Yeah, I know. You lied I'm to me. I'm pointing at
0: myself with three fingers <laughs> and
1: a thumb. So, here's the basic plot. We start off, and, and you'll start to understand the psycho parallels. I tell you this, but we start off with a frustrated housewife played by the very beautiful Angie Dickinson.
0: A, a frustrated, middle aged, beautiful
1: yeah. housewife. And she um, is seeing a therapist a Therapist played by Mike O'Kane. Mike O'Kane. Mike O'Kane. And um, she ends up having an affair, a very like, torrid one night stand kind of situation with this stranger that she meets at a museum. And as she's leaving, she is murdered by a woman with a straight razor. And I know what you're thinking. Spoiler alert! But again, this is the psycho parallel because the person you thought was the protagonist was in fact not the protagonist. And the movie switches focus to a call girl played by Nancy Allen, who was at the time married to... Brian De Palma. Oh, I didn't know that. Which is why she appears in a lot of his films.
0: Which I'm glad because I She's just great. love her.
1: She's so great. She was Murphy, in, yeah. or not Murphy, but um, Murphy's partner yeah. in Robocop. Uh, most of you probably know she her. She bro. Murphy
0: Brown in, in Robocop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. What? Yes. No. Uh, so the movie then becomes a mystery about who this woman is and, you know, centering around. And then the police detective, played by Dennis Franz, gets involved. Um, and they're looking for. A, a patient, a transgender patient named Bobby, who keeps leaving these threatening messages. and It's not Caitlyn. It's not Caitlyn Jenner at all. Uh, and then that culminates into a very shocking ending that you can probably already guess from the Psycho Parallels. But still, I love the camera work in this movie. I love the characters. And, and I think that like Tarantino, Brian De Palma is able to turn homage, able to turn wholesale cribbing into style and into signature. And that is what I enjoy so much about a mo- his movies, especially *Dressed to Kill* and *Blowout*. Is even as he is going out of his way to ape Hitchcock, he's doing it in a way that puts his own spin on it, brings his own voice across. And I think a lot of that has to do with what you said, Johnny Neal, of him also borrowing from French New Wave. Yeah, and he sort of the combination. Yeah. He
0: doesn't steal; he appropriates, yeah. and he
1: doesn't steal the whole thing or
0: appropriate the whole thing. He appropriates. Uh, a genre or a scene or a structure of a scene. Yeah. And then he paints it with a European brush, you know, like he he puts a different, his own weird spin on it. Sometimes it doesn't quite work or sometimes he's a hired gun, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But the thing about him, his movies demand being seen more than once. Oh, absolutely. Half of the time when I'm watching one of his movies, I'm thinking that that character is having a dream. You know mm-hmm. that that there's so much odd. Uh, the way he uses the score and the way he uses his distance. Uh, people running across a floor. Mm-hmm. Everything's a little bit off. Right. Even though it's not, it's perfectly focused. There's nothing unusual. It's 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 a, it's a, a feeling. Yeah. It's yeah. a feeling. A mood. Yeah. Uh, it's it's almost like you can smell what they're smelling. You know. It just he puts things in a strange headspace to where something will happen and it'll happen in a way that it's kind of shocking after it happens. You know, it's not a jump cut, a cat thrown at the camera, kind of a scare. It's, it's, uh, you just kind of go, Oh, Oh God, I was kind of caught up in my own head for a second. And then all of a sudden this thing happened Yeah, and you kind of go, did that really happen? Exactly. And, and, uh, yeah, I think he's, I think he's one of the greats. I think the people that that diss him, again, I think they're watching him wrong.
1: I think he creates fog in your consciousness that's not on the screen. Like you were saying, it's not that the shots are blurry, but he creates a haze in your mind. And I think that's what makes it very dreamlike, you know, the things that you're watching.
0: And everybody's an adult. Yeah. You know, they're all adults with jobs, with stuff going (laughs) on in their lives. So you kind of, when somebody makes a bad decision... You kind of go, why did you do that? That's not going to be good. Don't you know you're in a mm-hmm. Brian De Palma movie?
1: <laughs> 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 like there's always
0: a weird little dread, but you're dreading something big happening. And then something what should feel small happens, and it's actually huge. It, it, it's kind of hard to even describe.
1: Well, and I think like Hitchcock, he walks that line of like providing pure genre trash but yeah. in a very artistic way that you would never actually call it trash. Like, a lot of people thought Hitchcock's films were just filthy and they were, you know, they were just out for scandal and all this other stuff, when really, I mean, we now revere him as one of the great art directors of all time, sure. artistic directors of all time, and I feel like De Palma kind of has that same thing going on. In fact, kind of to, to hit upon that point, one of the uncredited producers on Dress to Kill was Samuel Alcroft. Oh. Of Inter- American International Pictures. Yeah. Who made almost exclusively trash. Yeah. Uh, and and genre runoff, like he is one of the uncredited executive producers on *Dressed to Kill*. So I well, think. He's,
0: he's also a uh, a Corman grad, yes. right? Um, oh, oh, De Palma. Yeah, didn't he do
1: something with the uh, Corman? I'm sure. He did. Are you thinking of Jonathan Demme, perhaps? No, because Demme did that. Um, well, so did Coppola and everybody. Else. So did so did Scorsese. So did um, uh, Joe Dante. No, you're absolutely right about that. Um, I'm trying to think. If, I guess
0: maybe I'm just thinking he's of.
1: No, I think you might be right. I'm just not off the top of my head remembering which film that that was. Um, but yeah, this is. Um, of did course, you ever
0: see sisters.
1: I did see sisters. Yeah. I like sisters quite a bit. I, I do think it's funny that he he also. I mean, this is this is after, by the way, that Brian De Palma made Carrie. Yeah. Um, and kind of blew up, uh, with that one. Which um, also had Nancy Allen. Also had Nancy Allen.
0: And the the other thing about Brian De Palma mm-hmm. is that there is no divine justice. There's no, uh, you know, the bad guy gets punished. You know, uh, everything ties up in a t- in a tidy little package. Mm. There's no, uh, and yet there's not the he's dead or is he either. You know, yeah. it's just like it's kind of like okay, this story ran its its course. What happens to these characters now is up to them kind of thing, you know, right. like, like, uh, sisters especially had a super open ended ending with, uh, like the dead body just being left at the train station,
1: rolled up in a rug, yeah. you know,
0: it's just, he's got a way of doing things that isn't earthbound.
1: Well, it, but he's also one of the great visual storytellers. <laughs> yeah. I feel like he really, like he, he didn't create the split screen, but he's the guy that fucking mastered it. Like he uses a split screen to connect threads of narratives like no one i've ever seen and i and i love that about brian de palma that's one of my favorite and that's one of the things that tarantino actually ripped off about him for kill bill volume one if you watch that scene where um daryl hannah's characters walking through the hospital and they split like that's that is pure de palma yeah. um this is an absolutely fantastic release a new 4k digital transfer uh, there's a new conversation between de palma and filmmaker noah Baumbach which is really interesting. There are interviews with Nancy Allen, uh, producer George Leto, c- the composer Pino uh, Donaggio, who also scored uh, Blowout, which I think is his the best De Palma score um, out there. Um, you can tell he loves movies. Oh, absolutely. You know, sometimes yes, you have a absolutely. director that only
0: loves his own movies, and
1: and De Palma loves movies. So much on here. New profile of the cinematographer, a 2001 documentary called Dress to, The Making of "Dress to Kill. Uh, there's an interview with actor director Keith Gordon from 2001. Pieces from a 2001 uh, piece about the different versions of the film and the cuts made to avoid an X rating. Yeah, really fantastic stuff going on here. Absolutely highly recommend. This is probably my pick of the week. Um, I love this movie. I think this is a fantastic release from Criterion. Cannot beat it, so just go buy it. All right. Now we're going to move on to a couple of films that were released by uh, Kino Lorber, Uh, one of them being their Library of Congress uh, uh, series, which is basically films that are now in the National Film Registry, National Film Archives, and another one which is just their random releasing of catalog titles no one cares about anymore. Sorry to say that I'm going to start with that one. The Couch Trip, uh, this is a 1988 comedy starring Dan Aykroyd, where basically... I'm sorry, here's here's what I think this movie was. This was a movie written not for Dan Aykroyd, but for Bill Murray. Because the character that Dan Aykroyd is playing in this movie is a very acerbic, very selfish, very, you know, like uh, the prototype Will Ferrell man-child. Um, I'm just going to do whatever I want and fuck everybody else. Uh, I'm going to be really snarky about it. Uh, he's a prisoner who has conned his way into being sent to a mental institution uh, because it's an easier it's easier time to, just to pretend to be crazy. Um, but it comes to it that a famous psychologist who is making money hand over fist, he's one of these television psychologists played by Charles Grodin, is having a nervous breakdown, needs to go on vacation, needs somebody to take over his show for a while. So they call up the prison, uh, the, the, the asylum doctor to take his place because they're like, well, this guy's not too smart. He won't show me up. He'll work for cheap. Uh, and intercepting the phone call is Dan Aykroyd's character who then goes and pretends to be this psychologist who works at the asylum in order to get paid and be able to indulge himself and comedy apparently should ensue. My problem with this movie largely is that a lot of the one-liners just don't hit a lot of the like rapid fire. Is it
0: because they're old or is it just because they're
1: just not well, they're not well written. They're very, I don't know. They're like, they're like first draft jokes. How big of a part does Chevy chase have? Chevy chase is basically in the background. Uh, through much of the movies, in like commercials that he's watching. Oh, that's funny. Um, which is it? It, it is really yeah. funny. I like that part of it. Um, Donna
0: Dixon is Dan Aykroyd's wife.
1: Yes, but he made great.
0: a bunch of movies in a row that were like
1: B movies, man. Oh, this is definitely it was when, one of those. when uh,
0: John Belushi died. Dan Aykroyd really had to scramble to recreate himself mm-hmm. because he was. I'm not going to say he was the brains behind the the John Belushi Dan Aykroyd pairing. They were pretty equal mm-hmm. on all that, but. For Dan Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd's the Liam Neeson of comedy, he has a very peculiar set of skills that are very specific that work really well in mm-hmm. concert with other people. Yeah. And when he's exactly. on his own,
1: it's not quite the same. Yeah, I think that was my other big problem is that Dan Aykroyd, to me, is just not a leading man. Right. I, I think he, he's he, a
0: huge, huge asset,
1: but he's not a leading man.
0: Yeah. And, absolutely. uh i don't see anybody in that cast that would also have been you know uh, uh the the perfect foil for him
1: yeah and then there's this crazy priest character played by walter Matthau, who's absolutely great in the movie i mean i gotta got give him props he plays this completely deranged priest who's homeless um and so that, and he's got to be jewish right walter well, Matthau? Uh, walter mean, Matthau himself <laughs> yeah I, i'm not sure that's 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 really funny Um, so yeah, I mean, then two of them kind of enter into the scam together and, um, and the the comedy is that, you know, Dan Aykroyd just tells people whatever the fuck comes to the top of his head and they love him for it. So the show becomes a big hit and that's where sort of, I guess the farce is supposed to, to take over. But again, I just, I feel like the jokes are so underwritten. They're, they're like half baked jokes. They're not quite, they need to go back in the oven. And the other thing is that I just, I think they tried to shoehorn Dan Aykroyd into a role that. Was clearly better suited for Bill Murray. Or I, I feel like anyone. <laughs> no, I mean I think it's specifically Bill Murray type comedy. Like he is in this movie. Dan Aykroyd is in this movie. His character is Phil Connors from Groundhog Day. Oh wow. He's just a uh, criminal, and yeah. who's in an asylum. But I mean, like the attitude and the way he talks to people, very much Phil Connors. But it ended up being a Dan Aykroyd movie, and I think that's why it doesn't work. And it's just, yeah. Not a huge fan of this one. Uh, yeah. can't... It
0: wasn't a big hit when it came out. No, it was one of those movies too that uh you know, it was just like the filler movie in mm-hmm. in a ten or twelve theater, you know, multiplex kind of thing. It, it would be like, oh, this was starring, and the other ones starting, and the others have filled up already. I, yeah. You know, and you'd say, what was that movie about? And nobody could really tell you in one sentence what it was about. Right. So, which
1: is disappointing. This is from the director of Fletch. But the director of Fletch also directed Fletch Lives, The Golden Child.
0: He did. Yeah. He made The Golden Child.
1: Yeah, But he also directed The Bad News Bears. Oh. That's something. And Prime Cut, which I actually think is an amazing. So he works with the same people a lot. Well, yeah, there you go. He made Prime Cut. I know, right? The Lee Marvin, Gene Hackman movie that's like real fucked up and great. Check that movie out instead.
0: Yeah, check that movie out instead.
1: Check that movie out instead. And
0: then get some sausage.
1: Get some sausage and watch Prime Cut. That is our recommendation for the couch trip, <laughs> apparently.
0: That's how many sausages from another movie can you give this movie
1: in a grade? <laughs> um, probably two out of ten sausages. No, 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 four out of ten sausages. Now we're going to move on to um, The Front Page, which is a 1931 film, again, that's in the National Film Registry, which is something I, like, highly respect. I love that the Library of Congress does that and preserves these movies for all time and keeps them away from george lucas um (laughs) however that being said i can't for the life of me understand why they felt the need to protect this particular movie this is a supposed screwball comedy although i'd love to know when it gets screwball but at all um is based on a play and it it was the movie was produced by howard hughes yeah he made he made a lot of movies. He, he did, actually. Um,
0: this you know is, why he made a lot of movies? Why did he make a lot of movies? So he could bang a lot of starlets. There you go. He, he had And then wash his hands vigorously. He afterwards. had he had chicks all over Hollywood in little bungalow houses.
1: There you have it. Yeah.
0: Um, so what basically- Also, this, this movie or the play was remade in the late 70s with Walter Matthau and Jack Lemon. Are you serious? Yeah. And when you asked me if, uh, or when you said the front page, that's what I thought you were talking about. Holy cow. It comes up. A lot, like on um, Universal TV, or that that one
1: of those movie channels that's not very good. I wish I had watched that version because right,
0: even that wasn't a big hit.
1: Yeah, the story here is that you have this reporter Hildy Johnson, uh, who is about to um, he's about to leave on his his honeymoon. Uh, He's about to, I'm sorry, he's about to go go to New York to get married to his girl. He just he's on his way out, but all of these guys, uh, all these newspaper guys, are sitting around. Uh, in a room across from the prison because they're waiting for a a murderer to be hanged and that's going to be the big story and they're just waiting for it to happen so they're basically just casing the joint just like on a stakeout waiting for this to happen and wouldn't you know it the killer escapes and Hildy decides he's going to spend all this money that they were going to use for their trip to get married to buy off some information so now he's got the big scoop on what happened it turned out the cop there's a psychologist brought in to have the killer recreate his crime and the stupid sheriff actually hands the killer a gun to recreate his crime and he shoots both of them and escapes. Um, Zany madcap comedy,
0: sure. I know, I'm like,
1: that's hilarious. What the (laughs) fuck? How many people have to die for me to consider this screwball? What the fuck? So then what happens is Hildy's trying to get his money back but his editor is basically toying with him, not giving him the money right away because he wants him to stay on the story. Uh, And then... The killer, who's escaped, crawls into the room where all the, the journalists are. And Hildy realizes that his best chance for getting the money back and more is to hide him from the police, continue the story, um, you know, basically create the news as opposed to reporting on it. So he hides him in a roll-top desk and then continues to try and, and milk the story so he can get more money. And that's the comedy, I guess. Of the, I didn't really find this movie that funny at all. And it has nothing to do with it being dated. Like I like a lot of Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, um, comedies, silent stuff is hilarious to me. So I don't think it's a matter of being at a distance from the release or being too young to. It's just a very hackneyed, thrown together, like series of situations that I can understand why it would have worked in a play.
0: That's what I was just thinking. I the can totally understand would, that would would change
1: everything in a in a story like that. But it's just so bland, and like everyone is talking. I know this is a staple of 30s movies, but slow the fuck down and enunciate. What is wrong with you? Hey, buddy, I going to make the big trip? Like, why are, you, why are you acting like film is at a premium? This is 100 minutes long. It's not like you were desperate to, to cram in, You're know, like, oh, we had to cut it down. We had to cut it down. So I don't understand why they're acting like every second of film cost them $100. I have always wondered that. Why did wh- – Why Blame Cagney. Why? do You
0: think? I, I have to assume it had to have started with Cagney. I don't think it started with him, though. I mean, it it just feels like that's the way people talk back then. Yeah. Hey, no? see. Hey, that's hey, fine. You? How do you
1: do? <laughs> Look at this mess you've gotten us into. Ah, I. So much for honeymoon. Ah, if I had half a brain, I would. Ah, uh, no.
0: ah, I'm gonna put you in this roll top desk, see. Yeah, it was just it's re- and there's so see, many. modern days, it would be here, hiding in my cubicle.
1: Yeah, exactly. But there's so many awkward moments, too, in, far, in terms of cinematography. There's a scene where Hildy's leaving. He's told everybody goodbye. He's walking out the door. And they do this tracking shot around the table of newspapermen where each one is like, well, so long, Hildy. We'll be seeing you. And they, they every time they cut back to one of the newspaper guys, they're zoomed in, and then they're pulling out and moving around at the same time. And then they cut back to Hildy basically waving the exact same way. And then they cut to the next newspaper guy and make that movement again. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what is this like Michael Bay would be like that's too much spinning I don't know what you're doing with the camera there's so many little moments like that throughout that I'm like I don't know what you're going for but you're doing it wrong is is my answer to that and of course because this is a Kino release there's no fucking subtitles Nothing. so I really like I had to crank it up just because they're mumbling too right. they're not just talking fast but it's like the sound because it's a release from 1931 is not the best right also, because it's a 1931 film, the picture quality is not super great, but I can't blame Kino for that. This may be the only existing elements of this film that remain. Um, there are some special features. It says it's mastered in HD. I don't know if I really call it that. Uh, there's a short documentary on the film and about how they preserved it. There's a commentary from uh, film historian Brett Wood. Uh, there's a 1937 radio adaptation starring Walter Winchell uh, presented by Cecil B. DeMille, which is actually something I always find really interesting when there has been a radio version of a movie that when they include it on there. I, I think how great. long that is. Ah, it's 60 minutes long. There's also a 1946 radio adaptation that's only 30 minutes long, wow. so maybe that's the version I should. I mean, I I don't get it. Like, a lot of times I can not like an, an older movie but understand its value, its importance. I don't get it.
0: Let's put the 60-minute one on for the rest of the podcast.
1: Okay, let's just do that. Let's Instead of reviewing our last two releases, Cutter. one of which is going to be our <gasps> giveaway. But it's not this one. This is the Hammer Films collection. But don't get excited, boys and girls. This is not the Dracula movies. Let's call this the Lesser Hammer Films. This is not Twins of Evil. This is not the Frankenstein movies. No, this is films like The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll, Scream of Fear, The Gorgon, Stop Me Before I Kill, and The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. They did squeeze one universal monster in five films on this Hammer set. And, yeah, Johnny Neal is absolutely right. These are sort of the also-ran lesser uh, Hammer films. The Gorgon, especially, is like... (laughs)
0: <laughs> i know i've seen that one before yeah it wasn't uh i only watched
1: one which one did you watch i watched stop me before i kill i i do remember that one what was your What was your estimation of stop me before i kill
0: well the reason I, I i was gonna watch uh the two faces of dr jekyll because i love a good dr jekyll story i really do i love the broadway play i i just think that dr jekyll and mr hyde Anybody who has a drinking problem can totally relate to Doctor Jekyll and Mister <laughs> Hyde, so or
1: anyone who loves the Hulk,
0: <laughs> right? Just saying. Uh, Stop me before I kill. I watched that one instead because it says okay. It was made in 1961, I think. Um, after a horrific car crash, race car driver Alan Colby goes on vacation to recover, but suffers blackouts and violent. Outbursts. God, this is fine print. With his wife by his side, he writes as he visits a psychiatrist who promotes, who promises to cure him suffering. Blah blah blah. Anyway, it sounded like uh, it it had some of uh, France in it and the Mediterranean, and it just sounded like it would be the nicest one to watch, like cool wise race cars and yeah, right with little Bossa Nova going on. Those open wheel race cars of those days. Nothing happens in this movie. <laughs> nothing, nothing happens in oh, this movie. Oh no! If okay, this is like it's. There is a theme running through this because like this could be related to the psychiatric wiles of Couch Trip. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to spoil it for you. Oh, this guy there at the beginning, he's making out with his his uh, wife, and it turns out he's been impotent since the car wreck two <gasps> years before. Twist, yeah. Um, and he starts it's a precursor her. to
1: David Cronenberg's crash
0: he starts choking her what's funny even for to one, he starts choking her lightly and she's like oh yeah and then he goes a little too hard and she's like oh Alan stop it and uh, the wife it turns out uh, I thought she was really Italian her name is Diane Celento, but she's English and she was uh, married to Sean Connery for a while but hey weren't they all
1: everyone was. Uh, I'm um, married to Sean Connery <laughs> In your mind. In my mind yes. Yeah. Man, yeah.
0: With, I, cold as ice hands. I like it. You're like, <laughs> you're an eagle song.
1: I am an eagle song, it's true. <laughs>
0: um, nothing happens in this movie. This guy thinks, he, he does, uh, now, oh, here's another thing. I have an interest in uh, brain damage that causes violent behavior. Like, uh, because it's weird when you read about stuff that people like, do. Like Phineas Gage type stuff? Well, like uh, Charles Whitman, that had a oh, brain okay. tumor you know that was like as big as a golf ball, and he knew that he was going to do what he did he He wrote a note and said, "I can't help myself, I have this compulsion and i've tried and i've tried to stop it, and i can't so after you find my body, please do a brain autopsy and then he killed his wife and his mother, and he took to the u t tower and killed seventeen people or something i mean there's something really weird about that where part of your brain just doesn't have control. Mm-hmm. They didn't make it that interesting. No. no, that would, this, this could have been re, but okay. The gist of the story is the psychiatrist is trying to make him think that he did do something because his father happened to be a surgeon. The race car driver's father was a surgeon. And so he has his father's, uh, uh, surgical instruments because, you know, they don't have to get those sterilized or anything no! between operations no! and it makes a good souvenir for your son. <laughs> And so he he the psychiatrist off camera kills his cat, puts blood on the on the instruments, so the guy thinks that he killed his wife. Then when he sees his wife, who's not even really Italian, he freaks out. eh, Whatever. That's pretty much the gist of it. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Uh, I would say that these movies are about as interesting as a hammer just sitting on a table. So there you go.
1: There you have it.
0: Um, but the star of this movie, Claude Dauphin, mm-hmm. is going to come up again when we get into the next box set. Which? What did you, what did you see in there?
1: Uh, like I said, I've seen The Gorgon. Was not impressed with it. Um, I've seen I've seen Stop Me Before I Kill. It's been years. Curse of the Mummy's Tomb is not the weakest of the Hammer Mummy movies, but it's certainly not the strongest. I've
0: never really been a big mummy fan.
1: Yeah. No, I get that. This I mean. Is...
0: Do I look like I'm not a mummy fan? Is that what you mean?
1: You, <laughs> you sense that you about look me? like a mummy is what I'm trying to say. No, um, so yeah, this is very, very much the also rans of the Hammer films. However, I will say that the William Castle Horror Collection which was also released by Mill Creek which is in fact our <laughs> giveaway oh, some lucky winner is out there waiting has some good shit in it yeah well, now if you're not familiar like this is, this is a very appropriate way to end this episode on which we talked about Brian De Palma because William Castle too wanted to be Alfred Hitchcock yes. but he was like a mixture of not Alfred Hitchcock and Antonioni more of a mixture of Alfred Hitchcock and P.T. Barnum yes big he, time he was a guy who used all of the gimmicks imaginable. To trick people into seeing his movies, he is—he is a master. Like even Roger Corman would be like, "I don't agree with that. I find that underhanded." But he was completely independent.
0: He was yes. the and and if you've ever seen Matinee, the Joe Dante film, the character that John Goodman plays is William, based, Castle. On William Castle. Is yeah. based on William is
1: absolutely based on William.
0: And William Castle shows up in his movies. The way Alfred Hitchcock would show up at the beginning, or Rod Serling at the beginning of A Twilight Zone. Right. Like, he's right there in a scene, not just opening in a, a cold open in a dark
1: studio. He's in the scene... Like Walt Disney at the beginning like of... Like Walt Disney, of yeah. Walt Walt Disney Presents. Yeah. It's, like, it's very much like that. and And this collection actually has some really good William Castle movies, including... 13 Ghosts, right? which is pretty great. And I actually like Homicidal quite a bit, which, again, so appropriate that we talked about Dress to Kill, because Homicidal is William Castle ripping off Psycho. <laughs> it is William Castle's version of Psycho. Isn't it funny
0: when you'll read somewhere, like, they'll go, oh, they're going to do a remake of uh, Psycho. I'm like... How well, many does that make? No. Yeah, exactly. Like, how many remakes of... Like, every horror movie that has come out has been a remake of Psycho in yeah. some capacity. You know, like... What what makes something an actual remake, or an, what, what divine, defines the property?
1: That's a good question. That's a, that's something we should talk about on a future episode. Tell him, make a note. Make a note. Make a note right now. Uh, this, this whole collection, by the way, is 13 Ghosts, 13 Frightened Girls. That one I wanted to see, and I was real sorry I chose the other one. Mr. Sardonicus. Mr.
0: Sardonicus. Homicidal. Is the
1: one I homicidal and the Old Dark House. Tell us about Mr. Sardonicus, Johnny Neal.
0: Okay, Mr. Sardonicus, I had heard this name so many times, and I just, for some reason. Wasn't I, he your boss at Kinko's? He Mr. was Sardonicus. He was from... Mr. Sardonicus. My, uh, You're too old to have worked
1: at a Kinko's. Bobby weekend.
0: Sardonicus. He was. Bobby
1: Sardonicus. Oh, so, uh, yeah, Bobby Sardonicus
0: Bobby from the Sardonicus. old neighborhood. We
1: call him Bobby Sardines. Well,
0: his real name was Roberto, but he didn't really want to be thought of as old. His name old, was old Jeff
1: Sardines. Williams, but we called him Bobby Sardonicus. Bobby Sardonicus. Don't know teeth. why. He
0: had these big Mr. Ed teeth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what is this about, Johnny? New? So,
0: this movie is very strange. It starts. Okay, here's the funny thing William Dauphin, or Dauphine, no, Claude Dauphine, mm-hmm. the actor that's in this. Uh huh. He's the same guy that was in the Hammer film. He's on both so collections. I had two boxes, and I only had time to watch one movie out of each, and both of them had the same lead actor, who, I was to find out, uh, committed suicide with a barbiturates overdose at 55. Yikes. So uh, his career was...
1: Because you didn't like his movies? His,
0: his career was just a skyrocket. <laughs> It was a he was a wrecking ball, I don't know you
1: still um, haven't told us what it's actually about Jenny. well it's
0: it's about thirty <laughs> minutes
1: longer than it needs to be <laughs>
0: yo. <Hey-yo! laughs> so uh this guy he's got a real mean wife who picks on him he uh he goes to uh, his father his father lives with him, his father goes into town, buys a lottery ticket, has spent so much money on lottery tickets comes back dies that night in his sleep after. His daughter-in-law, the big son's wife, had dogged him out for buying lottery tickets because she wants wealth and, and gold and money and shiny, sparkly things. They're in, what were they, in? like Slovak or something, like a, a made-up, you know, uh, Slovakian nation. Um, Latveria. Let, Latveria, exactly. His name was... Uh, Otto von he, Doom. Otto, Otto von Zardonicus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Otto von Dumicus.
0: So, the husband realizes that the ticket is in his father's coffin, and so he goes and digs up the coffin, climbs down in, pulls the ticket out of the pocket of the vest, and when, just as he does, a lightning bolt strikes or lights up the sky, and he sees his father's big rictus grin of his his uh his his rigor mortis face mm-hmm. and his own face freezes like that into this big huge toothy horrible grin across his face. And that was when I realized the reason I've heard Mr. Sardonicus so many times is every time I've read a, a nonfiction book about Batman and the Joker, they'll say clearly that the Joker's modeled on Mr. Sardonicus, huh. even though this was 1961 and the Joker happened before, that there's a tie-in. <laughs> but he definitely, I mean, it's its actually pretty good makeup, but they don't stay on it very long every yeah. time. He wears this rubber mask, and he and he shows up. Now he won the lottery, and he like had enough to buy a castle and become a baron. Mm-hmm. And he changed his name to Sardonicus because he has a sardonic grin. And he calls this guy Claude Dauphine to come and fix him because he's a famous, uh, like a polio fixer doctor.
1: Polio fixer. Who he fixes. Polio.
0: used to be engaged to the, oh my God, the plot circles are just way too long. But the gimmick in this, see, everything always comes back to a gimmick. At the end yep. of this movie when the good guy and the, the wife have gotten away and Mr. Sardonicus's, uh face has been cured, uh, the It cuts back to William Castle, and he starts taking inventory of the audience, and he pulls up this sheet that has a, a thumb on it, a hand with a thumb, kind of like a little uh, emoji con, and he says, <laughs> okay, so these guys are safe. Are we going to be forgiving to Mr. Sardonicus, or are we going to punish him? And he starts looking at the camera like he's looking at the audience. Like an he can audience. see the audience, yeah. yeah. And he's going, okay, hold up if you want him to be, uh, if you want to show some mercy. And he holds up the card with the thumb pointing up. And he's going, yeah, one,
1: two, three. Which two, means the theater at the yeah. time would have handed out these cards exactly to as they went exactly. in. That was, exactly. that was his big thing is to get the people in the audience involved uh, somehow. Like, like 13 Ghosts, which is also on this set. Um, he had, you could only see the ghosts in the movie if you had the special ghost goggles. So he would hand them out. And that's actually, people thought this movie was released in 3D. It's like, no, 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 it's not 3D. They're even cheaper glasses. They're even cheaper. You just, no, and if, even no, if you don't put them on, you're still going to, you're it's, still going to see the ghosts. That's not really how it works. But he was, that's what he was about. He was and about he, that. But
0: he would, and then in that, he would like have a ghost, like a sheet on a cable at some point. Yeah. Slide down from behind the screen. Yes. And that was more than 3D. That was censored. That is 4D. That 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 is the 4th D. That was the four-leaf clover of of lucky
1: moviegoers. And once it gets the Oscillation Overthruster, then he can get to the 8th dimension. That's how that works. (laughs) That would be great. This set also contains the Old Dark House, which is actually a remake of a Vincent Price film. Uh, it's quite fun. I, I, Tom Poston, I think, is quite funny in it. Oh, It uh, has great. a very Adams Family vibe to it. This is a pretty good collection, actually.
0: And he's a very charming presence in his own movies. He when, is. When he shows up at the beginning. Now, you know what his biggest uh, his biggest claim to fame movie-wise is? Uh,
1: Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby. Nice. He produced That's Rosemary's true. True. Baby. He produced... And he appears in Rosemary's Baby. He does. Outside the phone book. Slightly darker than anything Ooh. else he had ever made. And by that, I mean incredibly darker than anything he has, else he had ever made.
0: And it wasn't his cup of tea. He was no. kind of like yeah, this isn't a very fun movie. I'm glad I didn't direct but it. But he was able to get it made. That's Which true. is kind of shocking that he could get them. If you <laughs> see, I mean, this looks like it was filmed on the set of The Rifleman or something. Yeah. You know, it's very, very bad, low budget. I've been painting my hallway and it's been taking me a week. And I watch a movie that's cheap. And I go, those bastards built that whole set in two days. And it's taken me a week to paint one goddamn <laughs> hallway.
1: You need a William Castle to drive you. I know. I know.
0: I need a crew of non-union people.
1: There you go. That's what oneofus.net is here to provide you. And oneofus.net is here to provide you, the listener, with a copy of William Castle Horror Collection. Five films from the master shyster himself. So here's how you can win this DVD collection. Tell me. You're going to follow us on Twitter, at oneofusnet, and then you're going to tweet, at oneofusnet, with the answer to this question. If you had to go with the William Castle approach to a recently released blockbuster, you had to come up with a gimmick, a really silly gimmick to get people in the doors. Assume there had been no marketing done for this movie whatsoever, and you have to get people in the doors. What movie would you pick and what crazy ass gimmick would you use?
0: And it cannot be The Dark Knight Returns and a guy with a gun. Oh, for and God's a mask. sake,
1: don't. <laughs> Sorry. Don't. Too soon. <laughs> and it was The Dark Knight Rises. But too soon still. Still too soon. <laughs> Don't pick that one. Anything it involving guns or shooting that. will be automatically disqualified. But uh, hashtag that castle giveaway. We will pick our favorite. What would you do? I
0: think what that would we should have yeah, okay. uh,
1: sample answers. I would. Okay. I would put seatbelts. In the seats for the Fast and the Furious movies. Like in those D-Box seats? No, no, no. Those seats Just wouldn't seat- move, but you'd Just- have like race car <laughs> strap seat belts that you would have to... I'd put race car beds in there.
0: <laughs> I'd take out all the seats and put in race car beds and put the screen on the ceiling.
1: Uh, for Drive so Angry... you could make out like during the Michelle Rodriguez. For Drive Angry, uh, I don't know if you remember this Nicolas Cage movie. It's absolutely fantastic. Oh, I fantastic. love that movie. So fantastic. I would, instead of cups at the at the concession stand when you bought a soda, I would give you half a skull to drink it out of... <laughs> The top half of the skull. I would do the Towering Inferno, and I would turn off the air conditioner. There you
0: go. That, I'm that cheap. Yeah, there in you fact, go. In fact, the remake would just be, I would just show the original. Ah. I'd turn off no the No one would notice. No one would know. But that's going to do and it. no
1: ice in the Cokes. It'd be very French. Yeah, true story. That's going to do it for our show this week, guys. Thank you so much for join- joining us. Johnny Neal, thanks for being here.
0: Oh, thank you for having me, and thank you for listening. And if you're going to follow us, follow me. Do it. I'm at Johnny Neal, J-O-H-N-N-Y-N- Follow me and, and keep those cards and letters coming to our inbox.
1: Agreed. Follow me at Braggy Salisbury. Again, follow us on Twitter at one of us net at Digi Facebook, Facebook.com slash One of Us Net. Please consider becoming a subscriber if you haven't done so already. That's how we keep the lights on here. And all the titles we talk about will have Amazon links here on the page. Please do use those links. Even if you're not going to buy that item, just by getting to Amazon from that link, anything you buy benefits us. We really do appreciate it. And they're bargains on Amazon. They really are. So go pick up everything we've talked about or buy anything. Just use our links. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to end the show the way I always do, reminding you that no release is too big. No release is too small. From Criterion to Catastrophe... We review them all.